So as we read the, the passage this morning about David bringing the ark into Israel, there was some stuff that was not like, everyone wanted, you wanted to come in and you wanted to feel good and you wanted to be like, oh, I got a good word, I feel good. And then there's this thing with the ark and he, the guy touches the ark and then he dies. And then there's this weird stuff where David is dancing and McCall is like, is like telling him not to dance and you're being foolish. And then it says like, then she didn't have any kids. And it's like, man, there's like, a, sometimes when we read scripture, there's like a dissonance and we're like, I don't know what to feel about that, right? And so of course I was like, sure, Jim would give me this one where the guy dies because he touches something. It feels extreme, right? And we understand that some people that aren't familiar with scripture read something like that and they're like, wow, God is mean, and so this morning, I just want to approach this text, and I, I, there's essentially two stories. So there's the story of David bringing the ark out, and Uzzah reaches up and touches it, and he dies. And so I want to cover that. But then there's this little intermission, this little story in between. So we want to cover that and that. And I want to break it down into, we first want to look at God's justice, and then we want to look at God's blessing, and then finally we'll see God's glory. So if you're taking notes, we'll break it into three parts. God's justice, God's blessing, and God's glory. Okay? So let's talk about God's justice first. So now we know David is now the king, and he's got this great idea, right? Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant, let's bring it back into Jerusalem. So now the Ark of the Covenant was basically the, the symbolic throne of God on earth, right? And the scripture tells us that the presence of God hovers over it. And so they're bringing this, the, the throne of God back to Israel, bringing it back to Jerusalem. And it seems like a really great thing, right? And so, so if you read through, like, go read 1 Samuel chapter 5. There's a really cool story about how the Philistines captured the ark and they wanted to have a trophy of their conquering. And so they bring it into their temple and their big statue named Dagon is sitting there. And then in the morning, Dagon is bowing down to the ark. And they're like, that's weird. They set it up. The next morning they come in and Dagon is bowing down to the ark again, except this time his head, his hands are broken. Like the presence of God literally would hover over this earthly throne for God, right? And it's important to remember at the very beginning of the series, God said, I'm enough of your king. I'm the king of Israel. You don't need an earthly king. And they said, no, 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 please give us a king. And so then he gave him Saul. So here's David. He's like, let's bring the presence of God back to Jerusalem. That sounds like a good thing, right? Like, David, that's a good thought. You're on the right track. So this is what he does. He's like, let's build a cart. And we don't know what the cart is. We just know it was a new cart. Probably specifically for carrying the ark. Probably, knowing David, he probably put some gold on there. And let's, uh, let's put some jewels on there. Let's make it look spectacular. Let's bring the ark of the covenant in style, right? Maybe heated seats. Who knows? Like it had everything. And David's like, let's put this on the ark. Let's put the ark on this. We'll carry it in. We'll do it in style. And then we could just have a big parade 
we'll have a big parade and we'll celebrate the presence of God returning to Jerusalem. Sounds like a great story, right? Like, we can get on board. That's the feel-good story right there. Except there's one problem. They hit a bump in the road, literally. So here they have the ox. They're carrying this new cart. And they hit a bump, and the ark starts to stumble. And Uzzah is like, I don't want the ark to fall. Puts his hand up to steady at ark. And then what happens? He drops dead. And God's anger burns against him. That's hard, isn't it? Uzzah, Uzzah we, we presume that he had no ill intent. In fact, I think it's, it's very reasonable to think that Uzzah was trying to help. He's like, the ark is going to fall. It's not good for the ark to be on the ground. I'm just going to reach up and do that. I'm just going to steady it. Like, man, that's hard. But we need to understand something in context. So we need to understand. First of all, I forgot to mention that the ark would open up on the top, and inside were all these important artifacts, including the Ten Commandments, the tablets that were carried by Moses, are in this ark. So they're inside, and then the throne sits on top of it. But if we look at numbers, so we'll pull up numbers, God gives some specific instructions to the people of Israel. When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sets out, after the Kohites come to carry these, they must not touch the holy things or they will die. These are the things of the tent of the meeting that the Kohites are to carry. So here, God is giving the Israelites specific instructions as to how they're supposed to handle this ark. And look at, he says, if you touch it, you will die. And so basically what was supposed to happen was on the ark, they would have these little rings and you would slide the poles through the rings and then six of the Kohite people would hold that and carry it on their shoulders. But David decided to come up with a new ark. David was not listening to what God has said. David forgot what, what God told him in numbers, and he said, I'm going to do this my own way. I got a great idea. I mean, God's way is good. Or maybe I just have completely disregarded what God said, and I'm not even going to consider it. But I've got a good way. I've got something good going for me. So this will be good for God. It'll be win-win because here, I'll make this cart. Friends, what's important for us as we consider this story and as we think about God's justice, he is not concerned with our intent. God is not saying like, oh, you intended some good things, but that's all let it slide because you meant well. In fact, in, in the story of Joseph, remember Joseph with his coat of many colors? And then at the, end of his, at the end of Genesis, he says to his brothers, who are worried that he's going to take some revenge on him, he says, you intended to harm me, but God used it for good. Intent is not something that God, human intent is not something God really cares about. When he tells us, 
don't touch the ark or you'll die. He means don't touch the ark or you'll die. We should always take God at his word, even when it's something that we don't like. Even when we're like, that seems kind of odd, because he knows better than we do, right? And he's given us these rules. He made it clear, and we should listen to what he says. There's something interesting. So Uzzah should have never reached up there. He should have known for himself. But look at what happens just a few verses earlier in, in 2 Samuel 5. Look at what it says. David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? And the Lord answered him, go, for I will surely deliver you into the hands of the Philistines. So just a few verses early, David's like, hey God, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. And God says, okay, here, go, go do this. But at the beginning of six, he's like, this would be a great idea. Let's build a cart. Let's do this. We'll have a celebration. It'll be great. Here's the thing. He even says, the scripture even tells us that David is singing with all his might the praises of God. But it's not just enough for us to sing praises. We need to follow him in obedience. We need to take the word that he says seriously, and we need to obey it. And if we choose not to, we open ourselves up to his judgment. Romans says, the wages of sin is death. Like, so that's not even a new concept to us. That's, that's a concept that follows through. The wages of sin is death. And so here we have this moment. Now God's anger has poured out. And now imagine this. So now here's Uzzah. He's laying dead. And presumably the ark has fallen too because they couldn't steady it. And now David's like, this great celebration has turned into tragedy. And he's like, how are we going to clean this up? <laughs> like, we can't just leave it here. So just imagine he's like, told you, I'm like, David, I know you want me to pick up this ark. I know you want me to do this. But I've got a cousin who would be really good at cleaning this up. Like, you want me to do that? Oh, no, no, no. There's so, find someone else. There's professionals. There's got to be an 800 number. Look on the internet. Someone will do this. But I don't think I'm called to do this, right? And it says David was angry with God. And so here, this first part of the story, we see a picture of God's justice. But now we have this little little story in between of Obed-Edom, and we see a picture of God's blessing. Of God's blessing. And so here's Obed-Edom, who sees there's like a controversy. He sees what's going on. He says, you know, like, I think my living room would fit that. Like, I think that'll fit. He's like, I've got some, some space. Why don't, why don't you just store that at my house till we can figure out what's going on? So they bring the ark and they put it into Obed-Edom's house. So I, I'm sorry, sometimes I get caught up in thinking about this, but imagine Obed-Edom is like, hey kids, come on down. We got to talk about something. And they're like, what is this? He's like, uh, like we've got to cover. This is the ark of the covenant. Uh, this is the throne of God. His presence hovers above it. So here's, we've got some rules. And he says, Johnny, no, no, no. We don't use a coaster on the ark. No, Johnny, Johnny, we don't put our drinks on the ark, okay? Like, in fact, don't touch the ark, right? And so here's 
Obed-Edom, who's like trying to live his life in his house with the Ark of the Covenant in his house. Probably pretty inconvenient. Like, that's one where you don't just want to stumble. Like, you want to keep clear of that. Maybe put some tape, police tape or something. Just don't go near that. Like, but the craziest thing happens. As the presence of God dwells in the house of Obed-Edom, he is blessed. And his whole family is blessed. There's a simple lesson here for us. When we invite the presence of God to be the central point and to dwell in our houses, we will be blessed. And let me clarify something, because if you're like me, you've prayed these prayers like, Lord, please bless me. And Lord, if you just gave me a substantial, incredibly substantial windfall of cash, I would be the most generous person ever, Lord. Do you, do you know what I would do if you made me wealthy? The church would have too much money. They would have to give the money to others. Like, I would give so much money. Like, and we think that is blessing, right? Nobody was shaking their heads, so I guess I'm a greedy person. Like, but we think about blessings coming in different ways, don't we? Like through cars and things and friends and family. We're like, we're blessed. Here's the important thing. The presence of God is the blessing. Let me say that again. The presence of God is the blessing. When we talk about heaven and we talk about the streets of gold, and we talk about all the great things that will be in heaven, those things don't really matter because all that matters is God is going to be there. And we get to stay with God forever. Thank you. That was great. We get to be with God forever. That is the blessing. And we need to stop about thinking about God doing things for us. And we need to just say, God, let me be with you. And when we have this mindset that it's, we're just happy to be with God, we will be blessed because we will be with God. So friends, let's just be blessed by being in the presence of God, by inviting him, by allowing him to be the central part of our lives today. So we've seen God's justice, we've seen God's blessing, and now we see God's glory. And so we see this little, this little verse here where David's like, this, the ark has been with Obed-Edom for three months, and David's like, oh, hey, like, he's being blessed. Like, okay, I'll take it back now. Like, okay, let's go. Let's, let's come back. And remember, there's a verse in the Proverbs that says, and all these things shall be added unto you. Right? Like, seek first the kingdom, like we sang earlier, and everything else will be added to you. And so David is like, okay, I see the blessing that's happening here. Let's take this, let's make this right, and let's do it. And notice something, as we look at God's glory, it says in, 
in 2 Samuel 6 that they carried the ark into Jerusalem. That David was like, okay, I went back in numbers, I read that passage. Okay, how about we get the Kohites and we'll put the poles in and we'll put it on our shoulders and let's carry it in. And there's dancing and David's singing and he's dancing and he's praising God with all his might. It's the same exact picture that we have in the first part, except we got rid of the stupid cart and we did it right. And so they bring in the ark into the city of David and now the throne of God on earth is now right where it's supposed to be. David makes the sacrifices and there's blessings. They give everyone their bread and the meat as the families of Israel. And we see something interesting. We see Michal, who's the daughter of Saul, is not so happy about what's going on. She's like, what is he doing? And so there, there is some debate over exactly what happened because it talks about David had the linen ephod or some, some texts say that David was dancing naked. So we can't be certain about what's going on, but what we know is that David didn't come in here with his kingly garb. He didn't come in like he was the conquering king. He had, at very least was dressed like a servant and at very, I don't know, at the worst, best, I don't know, he's like completely naked standing before God, okay? So it's not what you'd expect from a king, right? You wouldn't expect a conquered king to do that. And Michal is really upset with that. So before we dig more into that, we need to understand something because Michal is not just Saul's daughter. She's also David's wife. So if you look back, you'll see David slays Goliath, right? And then in the very next chapter, Saul is like, I think I would like David to be my son-in-law. So he talks with his daughters, like, who wants to do this? And then McCall says, oh, David is ruddy and handsome, like the Bible says. He's ruddy and handsome. I think I would like him to be my husband. So Saul's like, there it is, McCall, I give you to David. And so then they get married. And so McCall is David's wife. Now, you can do your own research and read through that David and McCall did not have the most healthy relationship, right? They would have been doing a lot of counseling with Jim and making lots of phone calls, said lots of prayers for them. They, they didn't have the best relationship, right? So here's David dancing and praising God, and McCall is like, you are acting like a fool. You're acting like a fool. What are you doing? That is not kingly. So my initial response upon reading that was like, this McCall is bad. Like, that's awful. What is she thinking? But let's consider something here real quick. Guys, we know that God has blessed us with wives so that when we act foolish, our wives can tell us that we're acting foolish, right? Ladies, can I get an amen there, right? Like, that's, that, that's why God made wives for husbands, because sometimes husbands do silly things, and they need to be told that they're doing silly things, right? I speak from experience, okay? Like, I'm, I speak from experience. But, so McCall does have 
some right to be like, David, what, what are you doing? This is not right. You should be doing better. So she's not completely out of line. We also need to understand something else through the lens of our New Testament text. So now let's fast forward. So now here's Jesus on his last day, and the woman comes, and she anoints him with oil. And what do the disciples say? What do Peter, James, and John say? What a waste. We should have taken that oil, we should have sold it, and we could have fed the poor for months and months and months. Let's go back to intentions. Peter, James, and John were like, we could feed the poor. That's a good thing, right? <laughs> that would be a great thing. Their intentions were good, but they forgot the central point. They forgot the central point that it's not always about feeding the poor. It's not about the things we do. It's about the God that we serve. And that woman said, in this moment, I want to make a sacrifice. I want to cleanse Jesus. I want to show what an honor and a privilege it is to be in his presence. And Peter, James, John, and the disciples who walked close to Jesus, who were taught by Jesus, who was selected by Jesus to lead the church after his, after his ascension to heaven, they did the same thing that McCall did because they're not thinking about this beautiful moment of glory that comes to God. They're thinking about all the other things that it could have done. So McCall, in this moment, is only falling in the company of Peter and James and John. Right? So let's show some grace there. So then we have this interaction. God has been glorified. He's now returned. And then she's like, hey, you're not acting like a king. You're acting like a common servant. And essentially, we see David's response is, I am a common servant. You expect me to come in here and act like the king, but I'm not the king because God has returned. He is the king. It's a moment of symbolic nature, a great nature where David is saying, we should have never asked for an earthly king. It should have never been me. God's thrown his back. He's the king. And it says, Saul was the king of Israel, right? And we see in the scripture, David says, God has chosen me to be the prince over Israel. He's lowered his stature from king to prince. Friends, we're, as a church, as a global community of believers, as individuals, as families, we are called to bring glory and honor to God. We're called to do this for him, not for ourselves, not for anyone else. I don't care what anyone else thinks. It's all about God, what he thinks. And it's so easy like McCall and like the disciples to get lost in the circumstances of this world. By the way, if I can quickly address something. So it says that McCall had no children till the day she died. And that, again, it seems like, 
was kind of harsh, like, what's going on? But here, at that moment, with McCall having, with McCall not having any children, now it's very clear that Solomon will be the next king of Israel. That the line has ended, that there's no debate about what's going to happen. It will be Solomon. It sets up the kingship that God had ordained. Remember, friends, if, if you remember one thing, remember that the presence of God blesses us and our lives are about returning that blessing to him. There's the famous song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. We see at the end, David turned his eyes to what mattered, and that was the presence of God in Jerusalem. It didn't matter what anyone else thought. Friends, let's turn our eyes upon Jesus today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and how we can be blessed by, by the stories and the, the word that you've given to us. And I pray that this week, each of us would be blessed by your presence, that we would invite you into the center of our lives, into the center of our households, to the center of our families, and that we would experience the blessing of being close to you every day. We pray these things in your name. Amen.